from the Center for European Reform. This is the CER Podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the CER Podcast. My name is Sophia Besch. I'm a research fellow here at the Center for European Reform. And today I'm in conversation with Noah Gordon, who is the CER's Clara Marina O'Donnell Fellow. Hi, Noah. Hi, Sophia. Good to be here. Right. So today we are talking about Nord Stream 2. In 30 seconds, Noah, what is Nord Stream 2? What do we need to know? Sure. Nord Stream 2 is a gas pipeline that would run from Russia through the Baltic Sea to Germany. And it would follow the path of Nord Stream 1, its 2012 predecessor, and concentrate most of the gas that Europe buys from Russia along this route. It's the most controversial gas pipeline in recent European history. And in 2011, the then Polish foreign minister likened the first one to the Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact. So. so why is it such a controversial topic in the EU? What is the case in favor of this pipeline? The main supporters are Austria, the Netherlands, Germany, and France. Companies from those countries are working with Gazprom, the Russian energy giant, to build the pipeline. The arguments in favor uh, would probably reduce prices in Western Europe and increase earnings for transit operators in the region. And it could insulate Europe from any issues in Ukraine. In 2006 and 2009, pricing disputes between Russia and Ukraine affected flows to Europe. Who stands to lose out from the Nord Stream 2 pipeline? The thing is that the picture looks quite different from Central and Eastern Europe. A group led by Poland and the Baltic states say this pipeline is an unnecessary political project that will help Russia, and Russia only wants to divide the EU. They also say that it will set Europe back in its efforts to diversify away from using so much Russian gas. There's the issue of bottlenecks. The pipeline could create some bottlenecks in the east because there's limited capacity to transit gas from the west to the east. Right now, those smaller west-east pipelines are sort of a safety valve for, say, Slovakia, who can buy most of its gas from Russia under long-term contracts through Ukraine, and then buy a little bit from Germany on the market as need arises. If the Ukraine route was minimized, those west-east pipelines would be filled up with the more expensive gas, and competition would be lower. Talk more to me about Ukraine. What is Ukraine's role in this conflict? Right now, Ukraine plays a very important role in transiting gas. About half of the gas that Europe buys from Russia goes through there, and Ukraine makes a lot of money from that. In 2016, it was about 1.8 billion, or 2% of Ukrainian GDP. That's obviously money they need right now when Russia has occupied part of the country and is supporting civil war in the east. So the states that oppose the pipeline say it makes no sense to hurt Ukraine in a delicate time like this. What we are talking about here is Russia, right? It's the, the relationship between Europe and Russia geopolitically. How important really is Russia when it comes to European gas? How dependent is Europe on Russian imports? It's a tricky issue, but Russia is certainly the EU's largest supplier of gas, ahead of Norway. Russia accounts for about 37% of EU imports, and the EU just makes 30% of its own, but that number is falling. The dependence numbers are much higher for some states, from Austria to Bulgaria to Estonia, who import nearly all of their gas from Russia and use it for quite a bit of their energy consumption. On the other hand, Russia also relies on sales to Europe. Oil and gas make up more than half of Russian exports, and half of those went to the EU. The Russian state desperately needs that money, and the future is not bright for an economy that depends on selling fossil fuels. It should also be mentioned that dependence isn't just a measure of how much gas you import. What's important is the availability of other supplies in a crisis. If Russian gas is cheapest, European people will buy it. What are other supplies if there's no Russian gas? Liquefied natural gas is becoming more available in recent years from Qatar, from the US, from Australia, and more and more European states are building terminals to be able to import it. Lithuania, for example, built a terminal, but instead of paying to import gas from there, it used that to leverage cheaper contract with Gazprom. I see. So that would technically be the argument of Nord Stream 2 opponents that Europe should diversify its gas sources, it should import gas from elsewhere, but they're not doing it right now. Some countries are doing it right now, but this is a decision you have to make. If the other gas is expensive, gas from, say, Australia, 
then you have to consciously decide that you're willing to pay more to diversify from Russia. It depends how dangerous you see what some people call the Russian gas weapon, the idea mm. that there could be a political cutoff. So what is the EU doing to incentivize countries to perhaps diversify from Russian gas sources at the moment? The main thing the EU is doing is giving countries money to build infrastructure. Uh, the EU has helped connect Lithuania's uh, LNG terminal to other pipelines. The EU gives political support to what's called projects of common interest across the continent. What does that mean, projects of common interest? Those are problems that the Commission believes are beneficial for the entire EU. So it will give them money. They think it makes the whole market more resilient. The EU is doing a lot of good work in southeastern Europe, the region most vulnerable to Russian gas cutoffs, to make it more resilient. So the EU, and when we're saying the EU, we mean the institutions, we mean the Commission, right? right. The EU is taking a clear stance on Nord Stream 2, then? It is. The EU uh, clearly opposes the pipeline, but unfortunately doesn't have legal tools to immediately block it. There are no public funds involved. So the Commission is trying various steps here. They first asked for a mandate to negotiate with Russia, but they are unlikely to get support from the member states to do that. Having failed there, the EU is now trying to change its gas rules so that they apply to all pipelines coming from third countries. These rules require, for example, that the company that owns the gas cannot also own the pipeline and monopolize it. Gazprom, an export monopoly, would find it difficult to comply. So we'll see what happens with that effort, but Europe's gas producers are concerned and it would have effects on a range of pipelines across the continent. Mm. When it comes to the Nord Stream 2 question, there's a business component here, there's a geopolitical question, and there's an EU solidarity question at stake. And something we hear often in the criticism of Germany's support of the pipeline is that in order to show its solidarity with the Baltic states, with other EU member states, Berlin really has no choice other than going against this pipeline. What do you make of this argument? Solidarity is a wonderful thing, and we should always want more of it. The thing is, again, this is not a public pipeline. The, the German state is not paying for this. There are permits that are issued sort of independently. There's a process for that. This is a private market enterprise. There are five Western European companies that have decided they can make money from doing this. And there is no reason that European consumers should always have to pay Ukrainians to transit their gas or can never build a pipeline that might make gas cheaper for them, but not cheaper for Poland or Slovakia. So it's hard to mix market regulations and geopolitics. And if the EU wants to sanction Russian energy companies, that's something it could consider doing. But stopping pipelines or going after them with regulation is not the cleanest way to achieve solidarity or climate goals or any of this. You as the expert now, what should the EU, what should the Commission be doing in the future to alleviate this conflict? The EU is already doing such good work, and the main thing is to continue it. I, I didn't mention earlier, but the EU brought an antitrust case against Gazprom, and to avoid a fine, Gazprom has pledged to sell gas at competitive prices and stop using these illegal destination clauses, which prevent member states from selling gas to each other and wreck the market. So the EU has been going after Gazprom and doing a good job. The other things are hopefully that you could increase money for this Connecting Europe facility, which supports gas infrastructure across Europe. In the period 2014 to 2020, it was at $5 billion. Uh, if the hole in the budget from Brexit isn't too big, it might be worth increasing that fund. Even better than all of this would be to increase energy efficiency, because that means Europe would need less gas, Russian or otherwise, and make progress toward its climate goals. Noah Gordon. That was Noah's first podcast, and I think he did a great job. That was a very succinct briefing for Nord Stream 2. Thanks, Noah. Thank you, Sophia. Thanks for listening to the CER podcast, and thanks to Beth Oppenheim, our editor. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and SoundCloud, and follow us on Twitter, CER underscore EU.